Lose 20 pounds in 12 weeks without stepping foot in the gym or lifting a single weight, even if you have no time. Give us just five minutes per day and we'll provide you with the plan you need to enjoy life with confidence, strength, and a slimmer waistline. We weren't always nutrition coaches. Before we were mud running Spartan racers and Ironman triathletes, we were overweight, bouncing from one fad diet or exercise program to the next. We'd been duped by the best belly blasting detox more times than we'd like to admit. We stopped falling for fitness industry hype and rediscovered the exact principles that have helped people lose weight for decades. Eat real food, eat proper portions, be active, Sounds easy, right? But something was still missing. It's the reason why millions of people struggle to lose weight and keep it off for good. We were lacking accountability and support. That is why we started the Sense Fitness Fat Loss Program. We've helped countless people just like you get into the best shape of their lives without feeling deprived. People who have tried everything, people who feel like they weren't meant to lose weight, and people who just don't have time for another gimmick or bogus supplement. Our guarantee, if you follow our program, check in with us each day and don't lose weight, we will give you your money back. Let us help you lay the foundation for success. And in return, we'll help you get in the best shape of your life and stay that way for good. Visit our website, sensefitness.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation. Welcome to the podcast. We have three guests, well, three hosts, I should say, tonight. Uh, I am Jim Gazali, joined by Gene Sobel of Tripothesis.com and Paul Howell of Faster, Longer, Stronger Triathlon Coaching, Endurance Coaching, Run Coaching. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And, and tonight, we're also joined by one of my athletes, Kelsey Nickerson. Hey, Kelsey. Hi. Hey, Kelsey. Who will give the uh, athlete's perspective on things. So it's not just uh, three coaches <laughs> sort of, you know, having yeah. a one-sided view. Exactly. And that's, I was going to say that the, t the topic of our conversation tonight is the athlete-coach relationship. And... I think what we see a lot of in triathlon and endurance sports today is kind of the coaches commiserating like the disgruntled employees. Oh, my athlete doesn't do this or they do this and they don't do that. So we're going to hopefully dispel a couple of rumors and make it seem like it's not us against them, right? That's the plan. We'll see where this discussion goes. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> so from, from a, a base level, what does the coach-athlete relationship look like to, to both of you? Paul, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, being a, an a ex, more of an athlete right now, hoping for a comeback next year probably um the relationship to me is is a relationship trust and honesty that's my two is really trust and honesty between the coach and the athlete i feel like if the athlete doesn't trust the coach or 
the coach doesn't have the honesty from the athlete and vice versa, probably not going to be the best relationship between the two. That's really the basis of where I start with any athlete that I've worked with in the past or in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that since this is not a, or at least to me it isn't, um, a one-and-done type of sport, I feel as though the relationship needs to be one that's trustworthy and you sort of have to, and I know that this is reiterated infinity amount of times, but you have to trust the process. And so we're not looking at this as a one-month sort of deal, but we're looking at this long-term. The worst thing that I see is that Athletes get disgruntled in four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, and then the trust is lost. But you can't really expect changes to happen, especially in a sport this complicated, this involves in such a short period of time. And obviously the goal is long term. So you're wa you want to think two, three, five, ten years ahead where you want to be then. Because the reality of triathlon and running and, and most of different sports is that this is to most people more than a hobby and the results take a long time so if you look at you know the some of the top athletes in triathlon they're not 20 they're not 21 either they're in their 30s they're in their sometimes even late 30s and 40s and so this is where the trust comes in yeah i think it also depends on where the athlete's starting from what age they're starting from you know you talked about joy um i think and the athlete is at the start. You know, you've got to take it from their start when they come to you and where they're at. You know, they might have been they might have been in the sport literally just a couple of weeks. They might for uh, a couple of years or more. So always taking the, the athlete from the point that they're at and figuring out where they are now, press them to where they you know, this season, next season, five seasons time, like you said, G. Yeah. I mean, the, the plan needs to be long-term. Yeah. Gene, I think you hit on an interesting point in saying that triathlon is complicated, and that is why I believe you see a lot of triathletes themselves, coaches, saying, you know, in answering a lot of questions, the response is, find a coach, hire a coach. And that's great for from a business standpoint, standpoint i guess that that a lot of triathletes are hiring coaches rather than you know soccer mom susie just saying oh i'm just going to start going to the gym and i don't need a personal trainer so that's good but why do you think it is so much so that triathlon almost requires a coach i mean i think that the sport is and I guess I can go back to where I started things. Um, I signed up for a half marathon, and that in itself was fairly intimidating. And so this is, and if you're, you know, depends on what sort of distance you're going for, but this is a half marathon after everything happens. And so a lot of times people come in and they're extremely intimidated because they're swimming, they're biking, they're running, and you only have seven days in a week and with that most of us have work and jobs and you know responsibilities and families and friends and we don't want to let things suffer and so it is sort of you know get a coach type of answer because it takes the thinking out of it and it lets you 
just sort of follow a plan, trust somebody else, hopefully, caveat there, and sort of reap the benefits down the line. Yeah, definitely. I'll chip in on the gym thing, you know, going to a gym, um, most people's goal when they go to a gym is simply to lose weight or to get stronger. There's only two things, you know, in triathlon, you've got three sports and the transitions and the preparation and the build up and the training and, and, and the, the eating, food. which let's not forget the eating. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. So there's so many things that go in there. You know, years ago when I first started doing triathlon, it was, it was, it was three, it was three sports that really were not complementing each other. Now we think of triathlon as one sport that involves three things and a transition. So it's, it's changed over the years of how we look at what we do as being, oh, you're just swimming, then you're just riding, then you're just running, to being triathlon as a whole. Um, going to a gym is so much easier. It's measurable. It's much more easy to measure your, you know, your weight loss or your strength because you lift something heavier. Um, you can you can write it down and keep track of it much more easily. But with triathlon, there's there's build weeks, recovery weeks, build weeks, recovery weeks, and you know in the gym it's no pain, no gain more often than not. But in triathlon, you don't want the pain, you want the gain. You know. I actually think you hit on a pretty brilliant point. So in the gym, it's and I hate to sort of use this comparison or sort of this analogy, but. We're kind of in a vacuum, you know, either you can bench X amount or you can't bench X amount. Yeah. When we're racing, things matter. It depends on the wind condition, depends on the course, depends on the elevation, depends on the, you know, choppiness of the swim, depends on the heat, depends on a million different factors. And so we're not riding or biking or swimming, um, running or biking or swimming in a vacuum. And so all these things take um, sort of have a big impact on your times and that's why it's not always easy to measure and you know and i'll let kelsey chime in for a minute where she raced iron man uh 70.3 main and she was not happy with her swim time but so the conversation after the race where we debriefed when something along the lines of you know and i'll let her talk about how it goes well yeah i thought my time was terrible and i had no idea how it compared to everyone else and so you know after the race i'm like well i was so worried about the swim what happened and you know come to find out the conditions and you were tracking everyone else who had been swimming it wasn't nearly as bad as i thought you know based on conditions and i think had i not had someone to talk to after to like refer to that i would have just thought i totally would have had a bad swim or something like that yeah, and you know, you could feel like you're unprepared for the swim or something. But the reality is yeah. that nine times out of ten, if you're having a tough time, usually other people are having a tough time too. Yeah, yeah. The the thing, you know, you can apply that across the board to, to any of the three sports. You know, you had a bad swim. Maybe there was a current. Maybe the water was a bit colder than what you're used to. You didn't acclimate properly. There's tons of different things out on the bike. Obviously, you know, you got wind factor, other other different things, more turns in the bike course than what you're used to. You know, you're used to an out and back race. Uh, lapped courses are different with different turns. When I did um, back in 2011, people turned up on TT bikes, and I'd been down there beforehand, and I was like, no, I'm turning up on my road bike for this one. There was. In turns per lap. Wow. Yeah, there were so many turns. There was five laps over the course of the 20. So, you know, you just know 
has more turns, you're down more, you're going to have to accelerate, that's going to get out of you more. You're getting for the run and all of a sudden your legs have been trashed by all the accelerations that you've had to do. So it turned into an interval session, an interval race, <laughs> rather than you know that's why we prescribe interval sessions exactly right so again, but, it goes back to the being specific and being measurable thing you know what am i racing and that's where the coach can look at the course and identify things that that maybe an athlete a new athlete more so than an experienced athlete might not be able to identify themselves and the coach will look at that course the elevation the the um the technicality of the course and say actually this is we're going to change the training tact for this one so definitely more things that a coach can input well beyond you know a newbie athlete might not be able to yeah so we can get kelsey involved in the conversation here as we kind of discuss expectations and i i feel like that is where a lot of things go wrong with the coach athlete relationship and really just life in general you know we expect a lot out of people and when they don't deliver uh we get upset and and it leads to a whole host of different things so on a coach athlete level kelsey as you're shopping around for for different coaches what are what are the things that are most important to you and how do you make it clear to a potential coach what your expectations are as you start to build a relationship with them? I mean, I guess for one, I just wanted someone that I felt like comfortable with so that I could talk to them kind of about anything and therefore have the openness and trust and communication. Um, someone that I also felt was really invested, I guess, in a bit in like, my success and then um I guess expectation wise just like someone like you know responsiveness um feeling like they are actually you know paying attention and caring to what I'm doing week to week and Jean as her coach how do you go about setting the level of expectation uh you you know, you, you need to sleep at some point, so you, you technically can't be available 24 hours a day, really. Uh, you have a day job. You have other athletes that you need to uh, look after and provide workouts and guidance to. What does your conversation with a potential athlete look like when you're trying to set those expectations so uh, everybody's on the same page once you get started? So, sort of, I do this with Trypothesis, and I know, Jim, you can do this. We obviously have unlimited communication. Um, obviously, within reason, you know, you can't expect a 12 a.m. text to be answered within minutes. But this is a discussion that we have in the beginning where we sort of outline expectations and outline how things go, where, you know, I personally, and I know, Jim, you're very responsive as well, and Paul is extremely responsive, um, you know, we try to respond when and as quickly as we can. Uh, the reality of the situation is we're not always available and this is not sort of the nine to five type of gig. And so the expectation that a response is going to come in in a second is probably not the right way to go about this. 
um, you, the plans get delivered, you know, a week or two weeks in advance. And so that gives you the opportunity to sort of look at it and understand it. And that's the time to say, you know, I don't understand this, or can you um, be more explanatory with that? Obviously, you know, life comes into play. And so if there's a switch that needs to happen, or if there's um, a day where your pool's closed or something happened, you know, you text your coach and hopefully they respond within a fair, reasonable amount of time. I mean, you know, obviously this is sort of dependent coach by coach and how busy you are and we all have day jobs, but you know, you want to try to be as invested as you can be. What do you consider reasonable time, Jing? I, I work in surgery, so <laughs> reasonable amount of time. I mean, with with athletes, I try to respond right away. I mean, like how? Yeah, I mean, you always responded. I would say within the hour, I would think, or quicker. But yeah, so I mean, I've I'm... always known I can count on him to. If I have a question, yeah, he's gonna get back to me. So. This is something I've had a lot in the past from people is, um, you know, when I've done a, an athlete interview, they're interviewing me, I'm interviewing them at the same time, so we're trying to get a feel for each other. People have always asked this question, how responsive are you? And for me, I work hour to hour. Very rarely do I do two hours where I can't check my, check my messages. And sometimes, you know, like you're saying, life gets in the way. Sometimes I've given, you know, a really quick response or should I say a short response, like a three-word answer, because I'm right in the middle of something. And then later on, I've caught back up with that athlete and said, hey, sorry about my, my sharp response earlier on. I just wanted to get an answer to you, just so that you could then get on with your with your session. Um, just to quickly give a response sometimes can be two words, three words, five words. It doesn't have to be a big essay. Just to get a response to an athlete to give them a second option. Um, but yeah, response time for me has been a big thing for, for people coming to me from someone else. Oh, my, my coach didn't respond for three days. And I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> that, that's just a big no for me. Yeah. I mean, Jim, how about, um, with, you know, your side of things where in addition to triathlon, you're also doing nutrition where I feel like as though with that, you have a little bit more leeway. So do you prioritize your triathletes, your nutrition clients, or how does that um, I wouldn't say I prioritize one over the other. Our lines of communication are a little bit different. So all of our nutrition clients, we set them up through um, Facebook. So anytime they have a question or they post their meals, I get an, an alert on my phone. Um, I go to their private group that we create and we have a conversation there. When it comes to the triathletes and runners that I coach, they're all strictly on uh, text message. So I get, you know, my phone buzzes or my phone rings and, you know, we, we have a conversation right then and there through text or, or over the phone. So that is more immediate. Um, I mean, I pretty much run my entire coaching business off of my phone, so it's in my pocket or in my hand, you know, at, at all times of the day. Um, and the best thing about that is it's, it's free, you know, from, from a, a business standpoint, Facebook's free to use. I mean, sure. I have like a cell phone bill, but I'm not paying for, uh, any other 
platform that other coaches might be using that uh, are 50, 60, hundred dollars a month. I mean, I, I have training peaks, but I don't require the, the athlete to do the paid version. It's all free for them. Um, you know, I, I don't think they need to, to pay extra for that. But from that standpoint, you know, my response time can be super quick because I'm getting alerts on my phone or I'm getting a text message directly to my phone. Yeah, I think that's really important to know how to get a message to me as a coach where you need a quick response. And then just know that that, that question has come through to me and I'm going to see it and I'm going to respond as quickly as I can. Right. Uh, the, you know, prioritizing one thing over another really is just a question of time priority for me. I don't prioritize one athlete over another. Um, I, I strictly just prioritize it as far as time goes. You know, if somebody's got a question regarding their Saturday ride and it's Monday, uh, you know, the, the person on the Monday training session is going to take priority as far as time goes. So but I always try and respond as quickly as I can, So, which I'm sure you guys do as well. Yeah. And on the topic of expectations, have, you, have either of you had an athlete that said that you weren't living up to their expectations? Yeah, I have. Um, and she basically like called me out on it and I said, you know what, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it was probably about a year ago or so and eh, maybe a little less than a year ago. And I had taken some running video of her and I was going to critique her run form and, and provide some feedback. And I just never did it. And I wasn't hearing from her on a daily basis. It was more like a weekly basis. And, you know, we can continue to have this conversation about setting expectations. And, and I certainly dropped the ball with this athlete on that initial conversation. But on the back end, you know, looking at all of her workouts, I'm not exaggerating here. She did not miss a single workout for eight months straight. So I'm just seeing the, I'm just seeing the green boxes and training peaks, and I'm like, I'm not hearing from her. So everything is is humming along. This is this is great. She's progressing. She's improving. This all looks great. And then uh, I get a message from her that says, "Hey, where's my?" Uh, critique of my run form. You said you're going to do that. You never did. I feel like I'm just getting workouts from you. Um, you know, I'm close to a race, so I don't want to go in a different direction. What can we do? And I, you know, I think a lot of times coaches would get, and you know, I guess I can toot my own horn here a little bit. Uh, I feel like a lot of coaches in that situation might have gotten like, Oh, who does this person think they are? Like, everything's doing great. You know, you're progressing. Like, what do you need me to tell you that you're not already doing or that you don't already know? Whatever. Um, and then, it, you know, then it turns into a whole other thing. But, you know, I, if I, I took a step back and I said, you know what? She's absolutely right that I didn't set expectations. And, yeah, I dropped the ball on something that I said that I would do. So we had a conversation of, you know, of Frank, as my daughter makes her appearance on the podcast yet again here. Um, and we That's had a conversation. No, it's not. 
Um, I feel like every podcast we've had, it's been, uh, <laughs> your daughter has been another guest. So we had a conversation and we both got on the same page and I said, look, you're absolutely right. Here's what we'll do moving forward. We need to have more regular communication. So we had the, the conversation and set expectations. Unfortunately, it had to happen, you know, six months into our coach-athlete relationship. But it's better than, than not having it at all. I think um, there's one thing is, as a coach, how can I be better for my athlete? And every athlete that you work with has a different personality. They have different things driving them. They have different things going on in their lives. To try and take a, a, a little step back from just the training rigidity and the schedule rigidity to, you know, keep the athlete in check, just remind them, you know, you do have a goal that you want to achieve here. Is there anything that I can do to help with that? Is there anything extra I can help with that? You know, I'll push you. I'll, I'll, I'll make, I'll try and do whatever I can do to make sure that you do what you need to do. And I'll also pull you back when you're doing too much. Um, you know, and, and that, that too much can be in different forms, you know, job stress, training stress, in some cases, marriage stress and kids stress, family stress. Um, you know, there can be so many things that are in there, but I think, I, what I want to see more of from, from coaches and athletes is honesty. And, you know, I had one particular time where I had an athlete say, you know, I, I didn't want to say something to you about my training because I didn't want you to be mad at me. I didn't want you to berate me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Help you, not berate you. And Yeah, well, like, I mean, we're all on the same team here. It's not right? as Exactly. It's Thing, you know an athlete a coach is a team and it's, it's uh you know i'm here to help you I'm, I'm here to get you to your goal as best as i possibly can and sometimes i'll say to you you know you probably want to dial that back a little bit to give you a little bit more room to do this whatever it is um pulling them back pushing them forwards in certain places but trying to find the best uh, um way to design their life around what they got um you know every athlete has has Stresses and environmental, family, everything goes into it. It plays a part. Sleep, it's another one. Go to sleep. Get some sleep. Stop, don't message me at midnight because you should be ready. <laughs> Especially when you have a morning swim. But I think, I, mean, I, think you, I think you did hit on a good point is that we sort of have expectations too. And, you know, when I'm following an athlete on Strava or Garmin or training or any of these, apps at what point do you sort of message them and say hey i haven't seen any workouts what's going on how can we change things up to make things a little bit more relevant and more sort of work with your schedule better because the reality is is that this is a hobby none of us are going to be professionals and so we need that hobby life work balance type of thing so at what point do you reach out to your athletes and you say Hey, listen, what's going on? Is there anything we can change? Right. Also, there's got to be, and I'm sure, Kelsey, you'll probably chime in on the athlete. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know we're all athletes here as well. You know, you're not coaching, but um, something that we want to always do is is prioritize certain things for a certain time frame. I mean, as a coach, I've, I've said to my athlete, hey, 
in three weeks time or in two weeks time, I need you to cancel whatever plans you got on for your weekend or don't make plans. And this has to be a big week. You know, we're, we're getting a big weekend of training done here. This is a big volume build up week or whatever, a big build up block. And I need you to make sure that you've got this time available and giving people notice on that, you know, give them, give your athletes three weeks notice. Um, just something that, that I've, I've done is, is that just said, you know, Hey, this is the time. This is the, you know, crunch time. Uh, don't make excuses. And just keep, again, keeping the athlete in check. So Kelsey, yeah. Well, yeah. And from your perspective. Yeah. I think it was important for you to check in and I mean, I, this exact thing happened. Like these are peak weeks. These are important. And can right. you do this? You right. know, will you be able to do X amount of hours and kind of setting the standard before the plans even set out? Right. Um, right. And then of course at different times revisiting and reworking the plan of, okay, is anything going on in these months? If I'm in the off season, like what can you do? And just really working around and being like you said, honest about what you can do and yeah. open communication. Out of interest, because you got we got coach and athletes sitting right in front of us. So something <laughs> I want to just put guys: How much do you um, work with your athletes? And Gene, obviously, you can. Uh, sorry, Jim, you can chime in on, on this as well. How much do you uh, help your athletes plan their off season? Um, as far as like um, events that they might want to do, you know, um, for example, an athlete might want to go and do a. Um, a ride out in somewhere, I don't know, and, and it just doesn't quite fit with their schedule. It doesn't quite work. It's not the right time to do a sprint race. Um, you need them to be putting the, the, the bigger volume uh, time in, and they want to do a sprint race in such and such an area because it's got beautiful trucks. And it's like, no, I don't want you to do that. How much do you like kind of input and influence for that? So in the in the off season, so like right now, as we're in November, December, and even you know through like January, February, uh, I tell them they can do pretty much any running race that they want to do up to like a ten or fifteen k. Uh, if they wanted to do like a half marathon uh, or a, a full marathon with like a big race like let's say a full distance ironman like sometime in the summer like i would caution against a full marathon as we're like pushing into the winter um and that's that's important around here one of the local running clubs does like a winter series where they kind of build up starting in a couple of weeks and it culminates with um with like a 20 miler sometime in late January, early February. So a lot of people do that. Um, last year I had an athlete who was hell bent on doing a marathon and wanted to do one in like March and had a full Ironman that was coming up in, in August. And I said, this is going to really impact close to a month's worth of, of training where we're going to be kind of progressing out of the base period into the build period. And you're going to need to, you know, taper for a week into the marathon and then another week, maybe even two weeks coming out of the marathon for recovery. And I don't think that's the best thing to do. So <laughs> can't win tonight, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so that is definitely a conversation that, that 
is had and the mapping out of the race schedule is is certainly part of the the conversation yeah i mean i agree wholeheartedly i think that you know the off season is sort of the time to play with things and if you do i mean i'll even be a big proponent of letting people do half marathons because in my opinion sort of you want to break up the season you want to sort of see where you're at and the off season it can get a little intimidating because you're just swimming biking and running without too much progress being seen so everything's either on the trainer everything's either in the pool and these changes are so incremental that at one point you sort of do want to test your skill set yeah and so i usually tell my athletes that if you want to sign up for a race you should go ahead obviously not a marathon up until a half um but you should definitely do that and it sort of breaks things up and makes you it allows you to look some to look forward to something and so you know, it, it sort of gets the off season a little bit less boring. Right. The other the other side of off season, which I love, is that one of the things that I do is I don't really give off days, and so people um, or athletes ask me, "Hey, listen, I'm gonna miss a workout. Is this okay? Is that okay?" And I go, "Listen, the reason why I don't give off days is because organic off days they just happen and." Life gets in the way of living, and that's just the reality of the situation. And so I'd rather you have an organic day every couple of weeks or maybe even every week instead of having a scheduled one, which you probably – you definitely won't train. And then in addition to that, you might have an organic one because work ran late or I don't know. That's something I want to pick up on is this rest day thing. You know, when I first started coming to the sport and when I first started coaching – um, everybody's all about, you know, rest, rest, rest. We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big thing. We all need rest. We all need recovery, but we don't necessarily need rest from everything. You know, we can have these recovery days built with our schedule. And I had a conversation a little while ago, probably three or four years ago now, with with an athlete. Was why do you keep giving me these big volume weekend? And I said, well, because partly because you must have a rest day. You've told me that you absolutely must have rest days. So now I'm down to six days out of seven that you can actually work out and train on. So I've got to find that that time somewhere out of the seven days, and you're already taking one day away. So you're now down to six days out of seven. Your work schedule gives you 45 minutes, 60 minutes during the weekdays. So where am I going to get the volume time from there? No, it's got to be at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, taking away that that extra day and I'm, I'm the same as you you know very rarely is do i give the rest day the rest day um because as you say the organic rest days are just gonna happen you know kid basketball game is coming up and i can't train tonight okay off you go you know just that's how it goes and to to take away every single week you know the only way that you can overload is frequency intensity and time you know or taking away some rest time. But, you know, if you take away every single week that one day where it has to be a structured rest day, down to six days out. So you're then... Six days turn into five, and five might turn into four because life gets in the way. Exactly. It's probably hard for you to, you know, say Wednesday has to be rest day, but then if something happens and I need to to be Friday, then I took Wednesday and Friday. Like, it's... There you go. Yeah. Right. Right. As, As Jean says, you know, six goes down to five, goes down to four. Yeah. You know, right, uh, Jim. Do you give rest days in uh, 
in general or in the off season, or do you let them happen organically? Yeah, I'm I'm in the, of the same mindset. I always have something in every day of the week. Uh, the only time I'll do a straight up rest day would be in a week, really the day after a race, and that's like if you feel well enough to go for a swim or something, do that, but no harm in, in taking a, a straight rest day uh, after a race. Um, and I think this reminds me of when my wife was started to train for her first triathlon and I put, you know, two weeks worth of workouts in and she looked and she, it was 14 straight days of workouts and she's like, where's my rest day? And I said, well, we want to get into the habit of exercising consistently on a daily basis because just like you guys said those days of rest are going to happen whether we want them to or not just because of work and schedules and energy levels and and this and that so uh, i agree with you gene that by putting that one day off in there you know it could give the perception that there's more leeway than than we want to see um, and then it could also be like, well, I have a free day here, so let me shuffle everything around. And then next thing you know, they're doing a two-hour hard bike ride followed, you know, the next day by, you know, a super intense like VO2 max run that they're absolutely shelled for and can't do it. And then they need to take like three days off because they can't think straight. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the beauty of the off season is that you sort of have this calculation in your head about, okay, it's time, it's intensity, and it's volume. So what are we going to focus on? And it, it really needs to be sort of a calculation where, you know, you focus on two of the three because you really can't do all three. Because if you start pulling these 14, 15, 16, 18, 20 hour weeks in the off season, you're going to have a bad time and your season is going to be completely shelled. Um, I think that's part of the beauty of it is that you do have this leeway and you do have this sort of flexibility to say, okay, if you can't make a workout or two, it's totally fine. But again, on the flip side of things, once the off season ends and we get into the structured training for a specific race, you have to be a little bit more dedicated. And that's, I guess, where being a coach comes in is that that explanation needs to happen and say, hey, listen, you have this race coming up and we both want you to do well because, you know, you want to do well and our reputation and we're invested in you and everything needs to, needs to drive well together. And so we have this conversation and the conversation needs to evolve around, okay, this is the amount of time. And obviously, you know, you're not going to have everybody that has 18 hours per week to dedicate to training. And so you sort of have to, you know, if, if an athlete has 10 hours, eight hours a week, you might make the training a little bit more focused or a little bit more intense than somebody who has 15, 16, 17, where you have that flexibility where you can focus more on the aerobic side of things. But regardless of which sort of um, time limitation you have or flexibility, you have to sort of follow the plan at some point. Because like you said, Paul, you know, you can't keep missing those big weeks because the reality is if you have a half coming up or if you have a half, or if you have a full coming up you need those hours we're not looking at a joke of an event that you can sort of you know half ass yeah 
we're looking at something that's either 70.3 miles or 140.6 miles, which is very intimidating. And if you don't put in the time, it's, it's very difficult to be successful. Yeah. I think um, Kelsey might want to chime in on this as well. You know, with, uh, as, a, as an athlete, it's very hard sometimes when you're not necessarily the most experienced athlete. I'm not saying you're not, Kelsey. I'm saying if you're from a, if working with yeah. not-so-experienced athletes. You know, some some of the not so experienced in their mind that if they have two days where they're not on the bike in a row, I'm going to forget how to ride my bike. <laughs> you know, if if they have two days in a row where they're they're doing where they're running because their schedule they can't get to a pool or they don't you know they can't get out on the bike and they don't have a trainer, it's like well go and run. You know, the the engine is still getting improvement. The engine is still getting worked. You're still building your fitness. And it's the engine that drives everything. So everything's coming together. And, you know, it's, it's all kind of perpetually building and building and building. Where that building comes from, to a degree, you know, if, if you can't get on your bike for uh, four days because your bike's in the shop and it's having repairs done to it, it doesn't matter that much. It, it, it doesn't matter. Just don't worry about your bike so much and go and run and go and swim. You know, the, and... Gene said that as well. There's, there's two things that you've got to work on. Jim said it. So the, focusing on two to kind of let one drop a little bit to then rebuild it later on. So I don't know whether you've thought about that before as an athlete going, whoa, hold on a minute. I'm, I'm, I haven't been on my bike for four days, you know? Well, yeah, definitely. And I felt it was important. Well, what was great with having a coach was then I had someone to ask about those kinds of things. So in the past, I just, I didn't know if I was doing it right, like missing a day here or too much biking, too much running. And so it was nice to be able to have someone to, okay, is this okay? Is this going to, and then to be reassured, like, yeah, like do X, Y, and Z. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my most important words, okay, it's going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just... But not if you miss those peak weeks, then you're in trouble. I think in life in general, we just try and overcomplicate things. Uh, in fitness and, and nutrition, especially, you know, like we see somebody doing something else and we think that they have all the answers or this diet is going to work best for me because it worked best for my best friend. Um, and you know, I think we get bogged down in the details of, Oh, I need to do this amount of intervals at this intensity over this amount of weeks for, you know, six months. But if you just look at it in the simplest form of just being consistent with your workouts and over the course of time, making them slightly harder or slightly longer uh, than, than the week prior or the month prior, you're going to just naturally improve over time and it's not like a three by 20 minute uh sweet spot bike session is the holy grail that's gonna magically unlock all of your potential like that's not that's not like proprietary information that like only one coach has <laughs> well that, that's that's the kiss the kiss principle right keep it simple stupid yeah, you. It really is. You know, we're we're really we're swimming, we're biking, we're running. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be 
it doesn't have to be complicated. It really doesn't. But that's part of the reason I like having a coach is it makes it simple for me. I just follow the plan and I'll get where I need to be. Jean, where can I get more Kelsey's? <laughs> she, she's so good. I was um so we uh I was we were training for um main seventy point three and I didn't give I obviously I don't give any off days because you know she followed every single workout and I mean she can sort of give a sort of a spark notes for how main went, but she hit all the workouts during the peak weeks and the results she can talk about. There you go. Well, I mean yeah, then it was I think um probably a, almost an hour PR time-wise. I mean, my run was like, I PR'd my half marathon of any half marathon I've ever run. So, and then, I mean, so it was hugely, I felt so good at the end. I was like, I can keep, I could run a marathon right now. Like I felt good and I felt confident going into it, but I followed the plan. <laughs> right, exactly. Great to get back at the end of it, which is, you know, I kind of had my doubts and my doubts <laughs> a little bit and I wasn't sure about that. But then, hey, look at the result. Yeah, that, that's the bit that, you know, being a coach with, I, I tend to coach more of people um, who just need the blinkers a little more. Um, if they just need to put the blink on and just keep it simple and just, you'll get to the goal as long as the goal is planned properly and you do the big weeks and you do workouts and you keep on building up with put the blinkers on get it done and and then you'll get the benefit and the coach is going to feel great about it at the end of it and you're going to get that good feedback and that's that's why we do this because it's i want to help people gene you want to help people jim you want to help people we that's why being a coach is so cool just having that ability to help somebody to a goal that they might not have been able to get to on their own or you can get them there better and with more focus. That's why we do it. Yeah, I mean, one thing um, I guess we should try to discuss is after a race, I really like to have my athletes go for a what could I have done a better conversation. Yeah. So no race is perfect. We will never have a perfect race. We will never have a perfect day unless, you know, you win Kona. Um, but... <laughs> Even if you do that, um, there's something that you can pinpoint that you can say, okay, here's where I made a small mistake. Here's where I can improve. And that's sort of a conversation that you have with your coach and say, hey, listen, I thought that my swim was great, except I came out of the water a little bit too slow on the exit. And it might be these little tiny things that do cut those seconds, minutes off, and that could place you from, I don't know, top five to top one. And so it's these little changes that really make the big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting point because as we were just saying, keep it simple, stupid at the same time that, that doesn't mean like neglect the details. And I think, no. uh, to your point, Gene, that conversation of saying, okay, I'm happy with my race but how can I improve is super important. And I think how you structure that conversation and the mindset of the athlete is super important too because you need to frame it as what can I do to get better rather than what did I screw up? And we have this conversation on a daily basis with our nutrition clients who you know eat a candy bar 
and you know feel like they're going to wake up my 600 pound life the next day so that just framing that conversation into how can you improve rather than i suck is incredibly important and really how you foster a positive coach athlete relationship yeah, I, I mean, I, um, so again, like going back, I work in surgery and every week we have something called M&M, which is the morbidity and mortality conference. And so we have these conferences and so does every medical center and whatnot. And the point of these conferences is not to point blame or to say I'm at fault, but it's a learning opportunity. And so you say to yourself, okay, I made X mistake or X mistake happened to me. What can I do next time, next race, or in training to prevent that from happening? And so we're not pointing fingers. This is a race. Things happen. But it's sort of this conversation that you need to be pretty open about and pretty honest with yourself and your coach. And going back to the trust conversation, that's where that comes in. To say, listen, I made a mistake. I want to try to learn from it. How can we prevent this from happening in the next race or happening next season? I have an analogy that I, I kind of use sometimes, which is called the phone analogy. And, you know, you, you drop your phone and you go, oh, crap, I dropped my phone. And then you pick your phone up and you go, oh, it's all right. Now, the, the, the phone analogy is that I dropped my phone. It didn't crack. The screen didn't crack. So I just then crack it. I smash it up because I dropped it. That's what happens with a lot of people in nutrition. You know, they're that they probably know that wasn't really the best thing and then they go ah screw it my day's done i I may as well just eat a a gallon of ice cream um and it's the same thing with sometimes with athletes when they go oh i I missed a workout i suck uh and then the the doubt comes in i've missed a workout i may as well just not bother it and it's it, it for new athletes it is this thing of failure. Oh, I failed to, to stick to my plan. Therefore, I may as well not bother with the rest of the week. Um, and it's like, no, no, no. You, you missed a workout. It's not the end of the world. Some reassurance from the coach. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to berate you. I'm not going to be mad at you. Let's work on how we're going to get this back to where it needs to be. And, yeah. um, you know, just don't pick up your phone and try and crack it just because you dropped it. it just get back on the wagon and get back with it. So, Kelsey, earlier you were talking about uh, while you're searching around for a coach, the things that uh, you want to ask them about and set your expectations with them. A lot of what we see on coaching websites and whatnot is like race results that the coach was able to uh, coach an athlete to. Is that something for you as an athlete that's important to see uh does that stick out to you like x amount of kona qualifiers or so many people standing on top of the podium for for a single coach or is there something else that you look for that's more important than a race result um i didn't actually think that race results mattered so much to me just because I think that it can vary so much depending on who you happen to be coaching and where they're at and everything um so I mean while I you know did take note of that I guess I was just more 
more concerned with like their approach or the coach's approach to training and like how we, I felt like we fit more than do you have 10 people winning, you know, X, Y, Z. It was more, more of like a feel thing than numbers thing type of. So Gene and, and Paul, we can kind of kick this around from the opposing end of that. And I don't mean opposing in, in a negative way. Um, if we're poking around on different coaching websites and whatnot, I feel like it's a lot of the same stuff. Individual workouts, uh, 24-7 contact, uh, threshold testing, this and that, this and that. Are you guys seeing anything different and maybe I'm just not looking at, at the right coaching websites, but when you poke around and, and see different things, what sticks out to you like, oh, that's that's something different? Well, I'm, let me let me start on that one, if you don't mind, Jane, because um, something that I've, I've kind of seen specifically from you guys is coming to me for, for certain bits of advice on things that maybe I'm um, a little bit more expert level at than you guys are and then on the flip side of that I feel like we as coaches um, I feel like if, if there's something that I want to do in sports nutrition with, with a, a, an athlete I'd send them to Jim because he's much more focused on the nutrition side than I am um, I've kind of pulled away from the nutrition side of things a little bit more now um, I want to I want to move away from that. So I'd be happy to, to kind of push that on someone else and say, you know what, I'm probably not the best person to do that. Somebody else out there has probably got more up-to-date knowledge than I have and more experience in that field than I have. And getting a, a group of coaches like we have here, the three of us, to kind of bounce ideas off each other. I think that's something that's really, really good as a coach to be able to have a trusted um group of people that I can say, hey, you know, I, I just want to bounce an idea off of one of you guys. And I feel like with you two, um, I could do that quite happily. And I, I have other people that I talk to as well that I do the same thing with. And I think that's that's a question of the coach not having an ego. And I don't feel like there's any ego between the people that I speak to, like yourselves and other people that I speak to. There's just no ego. It's just, hey, how can I help you? I think that's a big thing for me personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of want to echo that point where, and I've sent people to Paul because they've reached out to me and said, hey, I want to do so well at this race, but I keep getting injured from running or from biking or from swimming. And I said, honestly, I'm not the right person to prevent you from getting injured. Let me point you in the direction of somebody that can build up that side of things. And then once that's perfectly good, then we can work on the coaching. And, you know, I think that's important to sort of know your limitations. Um, again, I studied nutrition for four years. At this point, I'm a little bit out of it. If somebody comes to me for somewhat advanced nutrition advice, I'm going to send them to Jim because I'm not up to date on the current evidence. And that's just the reality of the situation. That's for me, you know, I've, I've gone much, much more now into biomechanics and, and gate biomechanics. Um, that's, that's where I want to go now. Um, I'm not interested in the nutrition side of things so much anymore because it's just not where my, where my head is at. Um, so yeah, I, I would happily ask Jim for his advice or even 
say to an athlete that I'm working with, you know, I think it'd be really great if you go and spend a little bit of money this month and go and see Jim or, or get in contact with Jim for some nutrition advice. For, for It's a part of your goal, you know, the nutrition could be a part of your weight loss journey. It could be a part of your triathlon journey to get all of that in there as well. And I'd be happy to, to you know, push that to someone who is, you know, more expert than I am on that. Yeah, I mean, and, and getting back to Jim's question, what sort of stands out to me on from coaches' accomplishments is less about placement of athletes because the reality is is that athleticism and genetics do play a part. Um, what sort of stands out to me is to say, hey, last year this athlete did a seven-hour half. This year this athlete did a six-hour half, and we cut an hour off the time for the same person for the same course. And that sort of stands out to me to say that Okay, it's with the same athlete. They're either, you know, back of the pack, middle of the pack, front of the pack. It doesn't really matter. It's sort of cutting that time off for that course, for that athlete. Because, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges when you're comparing sort of the top finishers to the back of the pack. It it doesn't really make sense. Looking for improvements in the athlete. Yeah. One year to the next or one one year to the next with the same race. Yeah. Uh, Comparing, you know, 70.3 Canada to 70.3 Florida. Um, right. Big difference, no comparison. You know what I mean? And that, that, that's something that's also really important as well is like Gene said, comparing to apples um, rather than apples to oranges. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point because I'll most likely never be able to put on my website coached a Kona qualifying triathlete. That's just not the type of athlete that is attracted to my type of coaching. And if somebody who was an elite triathlete came to me and was like, Jim, please coach me, I don't know that I would be comfortable enough to to do that and be able to help them reach goals at that elite level. Um, And it goes back to your, your ego point, Paul, of just being able to understand where the athlete's at where you're at and if you can meet them there great if not have that community of other specialists that are are bet in a better position to to help that athlete in that specific area and and send them send them a good referral yeah i think i've been seeing a lot on social media recently is um you know, my coach didn't didn't uh, critique my bike, or my coach didn't do this. My coach didn't do that, and I'm kind of sitting there reading that, thinking, "A, did you ask them to?" Uh, and so that goes back to setting the expectation. B, are they even qualified to do that? Are they even do they even know what they're doing with that? You know, um, you know, I did my my triathlon coaching certifications a number of years ago. There was people from all different backgrounds on this on this level uh, on this level one course that I did, and it was you know a, a lady who rides with flat pedals on her bike. She didn't even clip in, and you know no problem. But the you know the, the she's now a level one certified coach. She's probably now a level two or even a level three certified coach. But is this particular person going to be the right person to ask? to to do a critique of a bike fit for you if you're a triathlete well no probably not you know 
um she doesn't have the experience she doesn't have the 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 certification the qualification to do that so knowing that your coach is actually certified qualified knowledgeable enough and experienced enough to do whatever it is that you're wanting and the coach actually saying you know i've asked me to do this but that's not really my thing i'm not really the right person to ask and then giving that out to somebody else but that comes with experience of the coach and maybe a referral of, of you know a person referral might have been the, the right thing to do there. Yeah. So it sounds like one thing that coaches could do to set themselves apart from the competition is building a referral base, let's say, of different specialists in different areas that they're creating their, their own kind of coaching team that they can have people come in and provide some information, provide some guidance, or even take on a client that that particular coach isn't in a position to, to help to the best of their abilities at that present uh, time. Definitely, yeah. Uh, having a referral network, um, and even if you've got a Facebook page, uh, social media page where you can just say to somebody who's a coach, hey, you know, um, would you want to do a video for me or a, a, an, an article to promote yourself on my page for something that I don't offer? And then you can bring that other person into your um, your entity in a way of your coaching environment to kind of give them, not necessarily just to give them more work, but to, to give your athletes that you're coaching more options of what this what you can offer as your service um it's not you that's doing it but you're referring it out to somebody personally to me that that would be great if i could go somewhere and get a um a coach who says you know that's not my thing but i know exactly where to go for it yeah and that's how you know also the person is honest and he knows his limitations exactly and there's no ego yeah there's no ego yeah yeah I love the comments in all of the triathlon Facebook groups that says, I need a coach. And those get the most comments with people just saying, I'm a coach. I can help you DM me or tagging their coach or tagging some, uh, you know, large coaching operation. Uh, those are always, always entertaining. And I, I was curious to find out if there were any metrics on that to see uh, what the what the percentage of those people actually hiring a, a random coach that like puts the waving emoji on there uh, actually is. Let me know when you find out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think the best part of those threads is that, you know, you get about a thousand replies and each one has a different coach. Of course. And so, you know, I guess going back to what Jim said is, you know, all these websites do look the same. The reality is, is that, you know, the things that are offered are fairly similar. And where we defer is sort of like Paul said, is when you know your limitations, where you can say to yourself, okay, I'm not the right person here. And I think you'd rather do that than go into this commitment and going, going into this training uh for x amount of time and then finding out at the end that you're not a good fit or the athlete isn't the right fit for you so right well you look at an elite athlete 
uh, elite triathlete or an elite runner and realize that as a as a runner you'll have a coach for your running you'll have somebody doing your nutrition you'll have somebody yeah. your massage you'll have somebody doing this you'll have, you'll have like a complete entourage of every aspect of your your training your life environment you'll probably have a life coach a mentor approach coach you'll you'll have everything there there won't be one person that does 17 different jobs so you know if, if you're thinking if you're going to be a new coach who's coming into the the coaching world don't think that you're going to do everything you know better than everybody else can do it um you know did stay i hate to use the term stay in your lane but stay in your lane know your limits i, I think is a really a really strong um way to put it maybe a little bit too strong and i don't want to put anybody off of course but you know just know what you can do and know what area you are going to really excel at and say that you know don't be afraid as well to to actually say you know i'm really good at this and put that out there i'm really good at this yep but I'm not good at it so don't come to me for that and people <laughs> will appreciate that and i think down the line if somebody reaches out to that person and says hey do you know coach they'll be like you know i spoke to this guy he said he's really good at this but he's not good at that but i really love the honesty there and let me refer you to him I think something that I also heard as well, and this is uh, for, for an athlete to think about, is make sure that your coach actually listens to you. Um, you know, the, the last thing you want to do is is um, have a coach that, that just talks at you all the time. It's like, hey, are you, are you listening in there? You know, hi, I'm trying to tell you something. Maybe you just need to listen a little bit more, and you'll be able to do a much better job for your for your athletes if you actually listen your athletes and give them a chance to speak <laughs> yeah at the end of the day people buy trainers they don't buy training so the more you can build trust build a relationship a friendship uh the better off you'll be long term and like gene was saying you know, having the ability to say, I know this, but I don't know that, but I do know somebody who does know that, uh, is going to get you further than trying to answer every question, even if you don't know the answer. Being able to say, I don't know, but I will go and find out. And if I can't find out, I'll find someone who knows. Yeah. That's definitely a, a big thing. So as we look at these websites and we see a lot of the same offerings and whatnot, and I apologize if you guys already discussed this while I was chasing my daughter around here. <laughs> when, so if you did, just cut me off. When can you tell an athlete or when would an athlete know when a coach is necessary or if just a, a straight up training plan for 18 24 40 weeks whatever would suffice um, i guess i could start off here um because i do offer both so what i typically tell uh athletes is that if you have one race that's your goal with sort of nothing coming in between you and that race meaning there's no really other races that you need to peak and taper for I think a training plan is a really good option. Obviously, it's cookie cutter. It's not going to know you as a person. It's not going to give you 
the exact output, the exact sort of minute per mile or swim speed. But I feel like it's for a somebody that's that's going for one race. I feel like it can be a good option if you're a self-starter. On the flip side, if life gets in the way, if you have a job, if you have multiple races that you're training for, at that point, I would say you should really consider a coach because the reality of the training plan is that it has significant limitations. And, you know, you can't expect it to peak and taper you for every single race if you have multiple ones. Whereas a coach, you can say, okay, this is what I want my season to look like. And how can we get from A to Z while staying healthy, while staying uninjured, and while peaking and tapering for the proper races so I can excel in all of them? I think the thing to think about on that is when you think about a cookie cutter plan, something that's off the shelf generic, it's a mold. And if you're someone who fits into that mold, brilliant, go for it. Um, If you're someone who doesn't fit into that mold, it might not be the best option for you. Um, I also think that if you're someone who's tried those cookie cutter plans before um, and you know, yeah, maybe you've achieved a goal, but now maybe you want to excel on your previous goal. You want to get faster. You want to go longer. You want to, whatever the goal is, that that cookie cutter plan might not be the thing that's going to fit for your next goal. And it might, but it might not. So it's, it's also a question of knowing the limitation of the plan that you've got. And somebody who is time crunched, that I think is where a coach is going to be able to do more than a cookie cutter plan, way, way more than a cookie cutter plan. Because, you know, we can look at an athlete and determine, you know, what they need to work on more specifically than any cookie cutter plan ever could. So it's taking your strengths and looking at your weaknesses and saying, and this, this is probably the difference as well with an athlete coaching themselves and a coach coaching the athlete is the athlete will generally always play to their strengths. And I'm guilty of that as well. Um, you know, the, I was an absolutely diabolical swimmer when I first started because I couldn't swim. So the only way I was going to get in the pool was if I had somebody coaching me in the pool. Yeah. But my way, I never would have got in the pool, you know. Um, but the coach forced me into doing it and got me to where I needed to be. So knowing your strengths and your weaknesses if your weakness as an athlete is your planning strategy, then a coach is going to help you massively there. So if you fit into the mold, great. The cookie cutter plans will probably do do be okay for you. But if you don't, probably won't. Yeah, regarding your swim, it's uh, something that I like to call adult onset swim syndrome. <laughs> but <laughs> the, um, the cookie cutter plan, I'm like, they work great. But also, if you're going to reuse the same plan year to year, you're not really going to improve. Well, that's why I got a post pretty much. Just, just saying, like, I was following plans I found online. And, yeah, I finished 270.3s, but I wanted to get faster. And I knew just following these kind of vague, or not vague, but, like, there wasn't it wasn't specific to me and what I needed to improve on. Yeah. And that's kind of why I made the, the, ju- the change. Yeah. So, right. again, you looked at something specific. You, you said mm-hmm. the word you wanted something specific and yeah that's not you know if you just if you want to just get through it and you want to get through your race and achieve the, the you know race distance cookie cutter plans are great if you're not so worried about your time as such cookie mm-hmm. cutter plans are fine once everything or once something gets a little bit more specific there you go you've you've just overstepped yeah. the mark of where that cookie cutter plan is really going to work for you 
Yeah. And it might. It probably won't. But it might. Yeah, that templated plan you know, would probably be ideal for kind of an Ironman athlete that's just doing it to check it off a bucket list. They're going to yeah. go all in for a year and and then cross the finish line and never go back. Uh, you know, throw Gene a, a donation for one of his plans and, you know, save the less than less than $200 a month on, on a coach um, for, for uh, month-to-month coaching. And so I think... Kels, what was your experience going from a cookie car plant to a coach? Well, it made a huge difference for me, I think, just tailoring it to where I, my strength or weaknesses were and where I needed to improve. And then also, for me, holding me accountable in a sense. Like, I knew he was checking on... Strava or whatever, but that helps me at least. Like, you know, then it motivates me to get the workout done, even if I'm a little tired or what. I'm like, no, I, you know, also because I realize that the coaches are putting in time and effort into this. And so that motivates me in a sense as well. It's like, not let you guys down. You had a good experience with a cookie cut plan and then with, well, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I did my first. 70.3 just off of a cookie cutter plan offline and I finished it and it was good but this made a huge difference and I was a lot more confident going into the race as well yeah. I think I need a coach <laughs> uh, I mean I, I think one thing that we should touch on is um, pre-race planning which is not going to happen with a cookie cutter plan and so um, what I tend to do is with athletes when they have a race coming up I'll have a phone call with them and I'll say hey, listen, we should talk about a plan for this race. And we'll go over the course. We'll go over how we should approach things, what zones you should be in, what power you should be at, what heart rate. I mean, depending on what metrics you want to use. But going in with a plan sort of allows for less mistakes. And so this whole going back to aviation checklist type of thing, when you have a plan and when you have a list, it's a lot easier to make less mistakes and to sort of stay in your zones and race your race. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that hundred percent. Well, a huge thing that I found the cookie cutter plans don't offer either is like, well, it's just the workouts, right? Like nutrition, all these other little tips that you gave me before races. I didn't have any of that before. So that made a huge difference as well. One thing that you touched on briefly was, uh, Paul, when you seemingly half-jokingly said that you need a coach. Uh, (laughs) Coaches need coaches as well. Uh, I had a coach for my first Ironman in 2017. Then I became a coach myself and have been self-coached since then. So going into my i guess it would be like my third season of of self-coaching and yeah there are times where i wish i had a coach to kind of hold me accountable when uh the alarm goes off on my phone and and i just flip it over and go back to sleep because nobody's looking over my shoulder other than myself really um and 
coordinating something like this with you guys where we can have a free-flowing conversation rather than uh, via text uh, is, you know, to align all of our schedules is difficult. So having a coach that you could just have a triathlon or endurance sports conversation with, you know, really at a, at a moment's notice is for some would be worth, you know, a, a monthly fee. And I don't think that there's any, you know, downside to a coach having a coach. Like you were saying earlier too, Paul, like these elite athletes have one person that they rely on for all sorts of different things, or I should say multiple people that they rely on for, for all sorts of different things. So coaches need coaches too. And I don't think going back to the ego piece of it, there's no shame in, in asking to have somebody coach you, even if you know how to do it yourself. Not at all. I mean, I think that also it gives you an objective measure, whereas with yourself, you'll be subjective a lot of the time. I mean, I know I'm self-coached as well, and so a lot of the time I'll be either exhausted or I'll feel like that I need to get this workout done, I'll need to double up. And it's sort of tough to prevent yourself from doing that a lot of the time because the reality is that triathlon does attract a certain type of personality. Um, And... That personality comes with certain things like you need to get things done and you have to and we sort of get caught up in the data and the weeds where you know we look at Strava and we say okay I only trained eight hours this week I need to have a big weekend to get over 10 but sometimes that's not the right thing to do yeah being uh, being a coach and having a coach this as you said it's that subjectivity that that you know somebody else is looking at what you're doing and I think I said this before that me as my own coach i'm i'm always kind of like steering myself away from the things that i don't want to do um to do the things that i do want to do more and even though that i know that i really should be doing those things that i don't necessarily want to do and you know having somebody to hold me accountable um like my coach who used to make me get in the pool um those things are so important. And you know yourself, if you're that personality that's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. You know, I don't really want to do those hill reps or whatever. Um, having somebody there to point the finger a little bit, not in a, not in a bad way, not in an aggressive way, but in a way that's like, come on, come on, you know, you've got to do this. This is what the goal is. You know, having that is really important for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was talking to somebody the other day and my training has been haphazard at best non-existent at worst since uh Montremblant in august and i was just starting to get back into it last week and i found myself like halfway through what most people would consider a difficult bike workout and i'm like holy shit this is like really hard what what's going on oh i lost at least a portion of fitness over the last couple of months with limited activity. So like, why would I expect that I could just jump back into uh, a difficult workout and, and be successful at it? So I think that's where, you know, having a coach comes in and the training plan, right? If I was just following a training plan and missed two weeks because of you know, a family emergency or an illness and you're like, okay, well, what do I do? Do I just pick up where I left off or do I just 
move two weeks ahead on the and just go by the date on the calendar. So, you know, that's it's always good to be able to have somebody to have those specific conversations with, uh, even if you know you can have that conversation with yourself, I guess. Yeah, I go back to you know, pulling my athletes back, pushing them forwards. Um, something again, I, I hate to keep throwing social media into the mix here, but it is a way to kind of remind ourselves that you know, oh, I, I saw a post on, on one of the social media pages. You know, I've, I've got a marathon next week. When do you think it's a, a good idea if I do it, even though I haven't trained at all? And you've got 500 people will jump on that post and go, yeah, you got this. Yeah, you'll be fine. You know, and then you've got the people that are realists who say, probably not a good idea. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. one. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's again, like I missed two weeks. What do I do? Do I do I? go back to where I was or do I skip those two weeks and then find that, oh, I might not be able to achieve that workout that's on the calendar if I'm following a, a cookie cutter plan. Um, just having that, that objective view and somebody to run that by is a, is a valuable thing. Yeah. Anything else guys and gal? <laughs> All right, Gene, how can, well, what were you going to say? No, I mean, I, I think that, again, both sides do have their benefits, but, you know, it, it really sort of depends on your own personality. And so your personality and your goals are should it, the things that should determine whether you go with a coach or with, you go with a plan. Well, he, and, I think that brings up a good question, actually, since you offer the one-on-one -on -one coaching and the training plans. Have you ever had somebody come to you looking for one of those and had a conversation with them and you helped them realize that they might be better suited for the other? Yeah. I mean, I, I had an athlete come to me and say that they really just want to do one Ironman and that's it. They have this sort of bucket list type goal. And I said, you know, if you have no other races, if you're willing to follow this plan, you're probably best to save the money and go with the plan. If you're a self-starter and that's probably the way to do it. I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, this is something that, you know, you want to build a reputation of trust and you want to build a reputation of honesty. And if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, listen, I just have one thing. I want to do it. It's been on my bucket list forever. And then I'm done. I think a training plan is a great option. Yeah. I, I, I have no problem with cookie cutter plans whatsoever. So I don't, I don't, I hope I haven't sounded negative on those at all. But I think that, you know, a, a lot of the generic plans that you'll see online just basically have sprint distance triathlon, Olympic distance triathlon, 70.3, 140.6, whatever. But, but like we said, you know, apples and oranges, you, you got to know that your 70.3 that you're looking at in Canada has got an elevation gain of, whatever it is compared to your 70.3 out in Florida, which is yeah. going to have, you know, maybe a couple of overpasses, but you know, the, the difference is huge and that cookie cutter plan probably won't take that into consideration. No, it definitely won't. So, you know, just because Scott you said, as the coach and you as the athlete sort of need to be honest with yourself and each other and say, right. I know what I'm getting myself into and right. that's just how it is. Right, just you know, just because you got it's got seventy point three in the title doesn't 
difficult race to do this at 70 points. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and also just one other thing really as well. Um, I, I train a couple of people who coach a couple of people who are, um, in, live in flat areas. Um, getting them to, to think about how they're going to train somewhere that's got a lot of elevation gain compared to where they live. You know, it, it, sometimes it's like, oh my God, how am I going to train for this thing? You know, it's got 3,000 feet of climbing and I live somewhere that doesn't have any hills. And, and just kind of like making them think outside the box um, to find somewhere that's got a hill that might be able to might be able to do a ton of repeats on that hill. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having that coach there is going to help you to kind of think a little bit more outside of the box. Um, that again, you, you won't necessarily have that from a from a cookie cutter type plan. Yeah, and not to give away any secrets, but if you have a trainer, you can sort of mimic hills on the trainer right. with low cadence drills. Right. So you know, right. it's it's very yeah. That's sort of the benefit of having coaches that the flexibility and the knowledge base is there. Right. Right. And bias spin bike. Yeah. <laughs> or a trainer, you know, whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, so as we start to wrap up here, uh, give me, Gene, you can go first. Coaching in one sentence. Oh, man, putting me on the spot. <laughs> coaching right. in one sentence. The relationship between the coach and the athlete needs to be one of trust and reasonable expectations paul um speaking to your coach interview your coach um they, they've got to have smart in there you know specific measurable, achievable realistic timely um listen to your athlete um and like gene said be honest drop the ego you know know what you're getting into that was more than one sentence but we'll yeah. allow it <laughs> that's why i'm glad gene went first <laughs> jim your turn so for me i think it's just as simple as communication breeds progress if you communicate everybody wins yeah. so you know nothing is nothing is tmi nothing is off limits uh Communicate, communicate, communicate. And that's communication both ways. Yeah. All right, Paul, how can everybody uh, reach out to you? Social media, website. Yeah, social media is Revolutionize Your Running uh, on Facebook. Revolutionize with a Z. Revolutionize Your Running. Um, theslingmethod.com. www.theslingmethod.com. That's my website. Um, I've got four ebooks now. Um, all dedicated to gate biomechanics and training for gait biomechanics and to become a more powerful, balanced uh, runner, triathlete, um, you name it, it's in there. So a complete uh, system for runners and triathletes to, to really make their body work as best it can in gait. So yeah, revolutionize your running and theslingmethod.com. Gene? Uh, so I am at tripothesis.com or on social media at tripothesis. And uh, we offer a donation-based triathlon coaching. And as we mentioned before, the training plans. And going back to what we said before, 
whenever somebody has a gate issue, I always send them to Paul because he is the expert. So do not come to me for that, please. <laughs> Kelsey, how can people reach out to you? Uh, well, I just have my, I guess, personal Instagram, which is knickerson. Um, and I do track a lot of my races and training on there as well. So Cool. I am at sensefitness.com, S-E-N-S fitness.com, which stands for Strength Endurance Nutrition Solutions on Instagram at sensefitnessusa. And on Facebook, just search me, Jim Gazali, and I should come right up. I think I'm the only one out there <laughs> with that name. We don't need any more. <laughs> yeah right <You're> enough. <laughs> all right guys well thank you very much this was a lot of fun this was insightful and uh kelsey thank you for joining us as well and sharing your perspective uh as the athlete yeah thank you thanks thanks for having me back appreciate it we hope you enjoyed this episode of the sense fitness podcast Losing weight can be difficult, but it doesn't need to be complicated. If you're unsure of how to begin your weight loss journey, start here at sensefitness.com. You'll learn the five simple steps for weight loss success. These tips are right on our homepage right now, sensefitness.com. Click the link and take the first steps toward a healthier you.